morning. It's good to see a lot of you guys here this morning. Um, it's just awesome to be together as a church family, and we are uh, glad you are here. If you're joining us online, uh, it's great to have you with us as well. Um, have you know, uh, this is, uh, well, we got, it. We got one other uh, about three years ago, but I need to tell you this because it was a thank you to the whole church that this Tuesday we held our presbytery meeting. And I, I want to let you know, um, we didn't get in any trouble. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, people know that um, I am not good with logistics. And uh, I, w- I was just waiting. Oh, I had it on backwards. Um, I, was, uh, and, uh, I was just waiting for me to have some massive, you know, brain aneurysm where I would just, you know, forget something and the whole meeting would go, you know, and someone wouldn't be ordained or something. And we'd lose our charter as a church, or I don't know. But we didn't. Uh, I think it's because we fed them Panera for breakfast and lunch. And everybody loves Panera. Amen? Yes, yes. Um, but um, so, so we've been walking through this great passage in the book of um, Hebrews, Hebrews 11. And um, I think it's important, you know, when you're a part of a family, is it not important that you open up your family album? And, you, you know, every now and again, you, you, you know, you, you, you turn back and you see pictures of, of you and your family when you're three and when you're eight and when you're wearing tube socks up to your knee and jelly, sisters are wearing jelly shoes and you're, you know, um, you, know you have these moments and, you know, your, your, your weddings and your big anniversaries and your Christmas mornings. And you remember. Um, and in, in a lot of ways, um, this is the Hall of Fame, the Christianity Hall of Fame. These are not perfect people, but they are people that, ex, uh, that um, profess faith in Christ, believing in what they didn't see. But it's, it's, I want you to see it that way. It's important for us to go through our family album. And, and so let me take this time to, uh, to offer a challenge to you. If we go through the, you know, the people of uh, Noah and, um, you know, Abraham and Enoch and, you know, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. If you don't know those stories well, read them. Read through your family album, because that's what it is. We are in the line of Israel, and um, to get to know this story uh, is so important, because uh, many of us think our story started, you know, as Christians in 1776, and it didn't. It started way back, and if you go through the story of, of the scriptures, but then you come to, the, to Jesus and the end of the New Testament, you know, then there were groups of people that fought hard to uh, defend the Bible, to defend the Word of God. There were all kinds of heresies throughout church history that said, you know what they said? They said, Jesus is really not uh, 100% uh, divine. Um, or some people said he wasn't 100% human. That he was, when you looked at him, he was kind of a mirage. He wasn't real. And, and there were big councils in Ephesus and Constantinople, um, uh, Nicaea, uh, that, uh, you know, there were, they, they would say stuff like this. There was a time when Jesus was not. No. Jesus has always been. There has been no beginning and no end. And uh, this for the scripture, particularly for the Old Testament, this is a family album. And to read the story of the Bible, but also church history, remember, that is our album, that is our family album that we're called to know well. 
And so we pick up, we ended uh, last week with Abraham, um, and, uh, and this week we'll start, uh, we're actually going to look at Moses, but here we go. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And what we know about this is that uh, Jacob, his name becomes Israel. We know this, Esau, he is red-haired, becomes the, the father of the Edomites. Who is an Edomite? King Herod. It follows you all the way to the New Testament. And Jacob defeated Esau, or Jacob was blessed over Esau just as Jesus was blessed over Herod. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worship as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. In other words, he said, here's what I want you to do. Take my bones to the promised land because I know we're going there. I, I want you to bury me there. I know it hasn't happened yet, but imagine that type of, of mindset if we have that right now. What can you not go through that you're going through right now? What can you not make it through when you know, right? Hey, no, my, my bones are going to be buried there because I know the promised land. We will take it. When we think and have faith like that, and then we come to... Um, you know, the, the major figure of um, Exodus and really on uh, the, the first five books. Uh, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict to kill babies, baby boys. By faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of a Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I want us to look at this idea of endurance, because I think we need it now. We don't know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know if there's going to be a vaccine that's going to be coming, and hopefully, you know, the prayer from what I read and hear, maybe by the spring, you know, there'll be a difference. Um, but we need perseverance right now. And, and we need uh, to set a pace uh, that is doable, but the only, the only way we can set a pace is to leverage what? Leverage faith. And so Moses, uh, th- think about Moses when he uh, was a Jew that was basically adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, right? On the banks of the Nile River. Here comes this little basket. And he was brought into power. Um, and then uh, it says... Uh, Pharaoh, during that time, had gotten nervous. Why? Because the Israelites had multiplied. And so Pharaoh's looking at all these Israelites, and he's thinking, no way. And so he turns them into slaves. And he says, we're going to take free slave labor, and we're going we're to leverage this for the expansion of Egypt. And so he began to oppress them, and he began to exploit them. And then you think about Moses by faith, when he, he grew up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here's what he, he does instead. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, he decided he could have been, hey, I'm just going to deny my people. I was raised in Pharaoh's court. And I am going to um, just experience power. I'm gonna, I mean, I've been born with this silver spoon. I'm going to live in this. But 
What we realize is when he chose to be mistreated, when he chose to enter into a a hard time, um, you know what that did in Moses? Um, It created an endurance because his suffering, his choice to endure, his choice to enter into suffering, right? He, um, out of that grew endurance, Because obedience to God in these moments, when you have a different choice, um, it looks like it's going to lead to disaster. To to, to see yourself and to decide, you know what, Um, I am going to leave. Um, uh, I'm going to look at this, you know, Midianite that's actually oppressing my people. And then, you know, we know Moses kills him. Moses, in a fit of rage, I mean, this is a murderer, right? In the hall of faith. I think that's important to note, that he is in the hall of faith, and he committed essentially manslaughter, right? He was so enraged that he killed um, this, uh, this Egyptian. And then Pharaoh finds out, and he leaves. Now imagine you're about 35 years old, and you leave, and you realize, okay, I, I'm not going to be used the way I thought I was going to be used, and you go through all of your 40s and all of your 50s and all of your 60s and all of your 70s and nothing has happened. And you think, I am not. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm over here. I've got this little life way down south. It's kind of southeast and Midian. And I, nothing is really going to happen. I could have trained in Pharaoh's court, but I'm not. I, I need to honor God. And then God says to him, when he's 80, essentially. Um, these next 40 years, you're going to change the world. I'm going to use you to change the world. But remember, um, you are going to do things that you're not going to consider uh, possible. And you're going to engage in suffering that you didn't even know um, you could engage with. But here's, and, and so he decides suffering builds endurance. And then in verse 26, the writer of Hebrews says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I mean, this is the way he saw it. Let's, let's go to the next slide. That disgrace for Christ, right, for him, right, was greater to, be, to not deny his Lord, to not deny the promise that was given to him. I, I cannot do that. And I would rather, right, give up Egyptian treasure. How does that apply in your life right now? What does it mean to be Christ-like right now? I mean, in, in, in some ways, um, I think for, for a, a, a Christian to show temperance right now, to say, no, 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 I'm representing Christ. And, and whatever I say in my attitude to this pandemic, in my attitude to the, uh, to the tension that's going on, you know what? I will not disgrace Christ. For what? To be seen in this light. The treasures of affection, the affection of people. I mean, when you can leverage that, when you understand, and you what? And you regard, you regard, you decide, and you make a judgment, you know what? I'm going to count the cost like Paul says. Paul says, I'm going to count the cost in Philippians. I'm going to see what is right. When you do that, um, then uh, you honor and you, you promote the cause of Christ. 
Because, here's what we know, you are only as durable as what you value most. The thing that's going to allow you endurance is going to be the thing that you value most. And so if you um, value the affection of people, if you value the affection of your spouse or of your kids or of your parents, right, or of your job or whatever, even of your health, You're only as durable as what you value the most. You only can endure as long as you have these things. And he says this, give this all up to me. I want you to count the cost, but ultimately, I need you to deny yourself. In in a pandemic, when you're 80 years old, I want you, Moses who stutters, I want you to go back to Pharaoh. And, you know, he says, well, then give me a sign. And so his staff becomes a snake. His hand becomes filled with leprosy. And, it's sh- and then he still says to God, God, please, I'm a stutterer. And God gives him, kind of meets him where he is. And he goes, okay, I'll give you Aaron. Aaron, he's a little bit better public speaker. Uh, you can have him. But you, you value me, Moses. You endure because you're only as valuable or you're only as durable as the thing that you love the most. If you love something the most that can never pass away, then what does that mean? That you are utterly free. And so, does it really matter, ultimately, what you look like? Do our bodies, you know, are are they going to be durable? No. We can't love those things the most. And so, here's what uh, Moses did. By faith... He left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What do we know that he's roughly 80 years old and he's, you know, waiting for God to do something and then the burning bush happens. And he, you know, I am who I am. He takes off his sandals and he says, okay, I'll I'll follow you. He didn't fear, ultimately, the anger of Pharaoh. He persevered because he could see with faith. He could see the invisible. And my question to you is, during the week, are you seeing God? I mean, the key to seeing God work and to seeing His movement is to be involved in, in, in hearing His Word and doing things of faith and praying to God. When you're involved in those practices, when you're getting up and you're doing your devotions, when you're spending time with, with God, when you are doing that spiritual workout, you know what happens? I mean, I tell you what, your lenses, right? Your lenses get so, so um, clear and you begin to see what God is, see, God is doing. But I know for many of us, um, when, we, when we don't engage in the practices of our faith, not pra- I mean practices of believing in what we cannot see, when we talk in a closet to an invisible God, ironically, he becomes visible. Ironically, that's the very thing. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to go down to the Nile and show these, you know, Pharaoh and these, you know, Egyptian prophets that the, the Nile River is going to turn to blood. Will you believe in invisible? I want you to tell them that frogs are going to infest the world. I want you, but, but they're not going to be in Israel's part of Egypt at all. I want you to tell them 
that gnats are coming. I want you to tell them that at 9 a.m. in the morning in Egypt, or the Egypt it's going to be all dark and it's going to be all light in Israel, part, in Israel's part of, of, of Egypt. I want you to uh, go outside and point to their livestock and say they are all going to die, but all of Israel's uh, isn't going to die. I mean, he had to believe what? He had to believe in the invisible. But as he did that, as he said, okay, I know. I mean, we know Moses lived till he's 120. To think his last 40 years would be this profitable. You had to believe. It's when, era, it's when Abraham and Sarah laughed. Sarah, I'm too old. There's no way. No, you have to believe, right, in the invisible. I mean, imagine. I mean, we're getting ready to walk to, to Christmas morning. Imagine, you know, out, out at night, and all of a sudden, God pulls back the curtain, and the hallelujah chorus starts singing to these shepherds. You know, glory to God in the highest. You know, peace, um, goodwill to men. It's coming. He is coming. See, there are things going on that you cannot see. Do you believe that there are angels? Do you believe that there are demons? There is, Paul says we should be fearful most of this invisible world. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. And it was that faith. Because we already know, without faith, it is impossible to please God. What steps of faith are you taking? Have you taken this past week? I mean, one practical way to, to practice faith is, and to believe in what God is doing is to share your faith. Just simply tell a non-believer about your faith. In those moments, right? God says, it's those moments that I'm using. The fields are wide unto harvest, but the laborers are few. When's the last time you did that? That is a practice of faith, believing that there is this message and mission that everybody, everybody's soul is made for. And God uses his church to call his elect, to call his chosen to himself. But how do they know? They have to hear it. They have to hear the gospel. When's the last time you, you are his ambassadors. You are the ones. I'm making my plea, he says, through you in Tampa, Florida. Not just simply the preached word, but through your life, through your testimony. Through you saying, you know what? I need to take my coworker to coffee and I need to believe in what I cannot see, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a step of faith and I'm gonna share my faith. And you just say it. You do it. Even in that moment, if suffering comes to you, if you're oppressed or persecuted in that moment, we already know that every bit of suffering, every bit of persecution was used to what? To build endurance. Every time someone gives you a roll, you know, rolls their eyes at you, or you hear a deep sigh, and you say, you know what? Okay, I get it. But you, can, you keep keeping on. You know what that builds in you? You know the strength that that builds in you? We're called to be these types of Christians. And so he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And then imagine after the ninth plague, God says, I mean, they didn't know what a Passover was yet. This was the first Passover. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill this lamb. I want you to take the blood. I want you to 
right, wipe that on the, what? on the door frame. You take a hyssop branch and you dip it in that blood and you wipe it. Right? And here, there's going to be an angel. An angel of death. And that death, and that angel of death will what? Will pass over your door frame. But if you don't have the blood, he will not pass over. And imagine that night to hear all of a sudden word spreads fast, to maybe even be able to hear, depending on where you lived, the cries of everyone who lost their firstborn son. Imagine that. By faith, he kept what? He kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Ultimately, that points to there's got to be a true Passover lamb coming, and that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And just as in the Old Testament they celebrated Passover, so in the New Testament we celebrate the Lord's Supper and communion. That, that we believe that Christ is our Passover lamb. And that just as Abraham had to have faith that the blood of this lamb would cover him from the angel of death, so we have to do what? We have to believe that the blood of Jesus covers us from death from the angel of death that comes for each one of us. And so we can legitimately say that when we pass, we simply are what? We are going to sleep. That's all it is. We're not dying. We will never die. We just will sleep. And here's what we know. The souls of believers at the moment that we pass go up into heaven and our bodies go into ground. And when Jesus comes back, what do we believe? We believe that soul and body, perfected body, come back together and everything is made right. All of this points to what Jesus had done. And so in that moment, when, when you say to yourself, you know, if you're in this moment of crisis and you want to live by your feelings, right? And your boyfriend says, it's time, let's go, we're going all the way. Right? Or, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go, uh, we're going we're gonna to start being sexually active. And a high schooler says, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to believe in what my body, you know, is telling me to do. But I know I have sin inside. And I'm going to act by faith. When you decide to share your faith, when you decide to stay in your marriage. Because what you see, you can't, I mean, but we know God hates right? He hates that divorce, and you decide to stay, and you believe, God, you're working. When we make these hard decisions, when you say, you know what, kid, son, daughter, I will not let you go out with that group of friends. When you look at your mom and dad and say, mom, dad, look, I can't have you do that anymore. I know I'm under your authority, but that is immoral. That is wrong when you do that for the Lord, when you believe that God is going to do something, so he gives us his, his law, what do we know? Let's go to the next slide. That God does not ask us to understand his will, but to obey it, even if it seems unreasonable. What is God asking you to do that may seem unreasonable? We, uh, I got to talk to a couple of missionaries uh, lately and to hear what God is doing, you know, uh, internationally and globally. People that would be called to go to um, Nazareth and, and be Christians there. I mean, in this, Nazareth is 98% Muslim. 
Imagine if you're called to go to the city of Nazareth and be a, a missionary there. What do you have to do? You have to not understand what he's doing, because that's not safe, but I'm going to obey it, even if it seems unreasonable. And so God, this whole time, he's molding Moses. Think of all the times you've had to use your faith. They've all been to build you. I mean, do you think Moses, when he was, you know, the day after he killed this Midianite, would be ready to deal with God saying what the 10th plague would be? No. But God brought him where he needed to bring him for that moment. And God's got you right where you are right now, and you have enough faith to get here. And then he asks you to take another step. And he asks you to take another step. I've I've told you about my buddy uh, Mark, who lost his arm to cancer. And he comes back my, my senior year without an arm, and he goes, you know, the God, God is, God's word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's not a spotlight, and we want it to be a spotlight, because here's what he knew. If I knew I was going to lose my arm, you know, two years before I lost my arm, I would have gone crazy. But God was, was enough for me when I needed it. And that's what he did with Moses the entire time. And he does this, and he brings him to the 10th plague, and then what? And then here he is, the last verse. The last verse reads, By faith, what? By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Imagine the moment where Moses looks back and he sees Pharaoh. And he looks forward and he sees a Red Sea. What are you going to do, God? You have to part the seas. You have to do something, God. You, you told me I'm going to lead your people out of bondage. You told me, God, you told me to obey me and that you would come through, and he does. We're not going to always be able to understand the situation that we're in, but you leave all the consequences to God, and we obey him, and we act in faith. So when you walk through a little of the story of Moses. Where does that leave you? If you could, you know, be up here and challenge our church, what would you call us to do? What, what does our church need? What do you need individually? What does it mean for you to live like Moses? Not a perfect man, but a man who is able to get past um, the idea that he murdered somebody. For for many of us, I bet you we wouldn't even allow ourselves to do anything for God if we murdered somebody in a fit of rage. We would hate ourselves so much that we would say, no way you're going to use me, God, because I want to punish myself. It's the exact same thing that David did when he dressed himself in black and he beat himself after the, the child was lost and he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he did it for a week. But then it says all of a sudden the next day, David woke up, he took a shower, and he wore all white. Because what did he believe? He believed that he was um, cleansed. He believed that he was forgiven. And that God was still going to use a broken vessel. And that's the story of Moses. How might you take a step of faith? How might you believe in what you do not see, but actually take a a step of obedience and you, you take action for that? Let's, um, as, as we think about that, let's ask God to be with us. Let's ask God to move in our hearts. Um, 
and prepare us as we come to take uh, the Lord's Supper.